1: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt with Rolling Stone, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. With me today is Rolling Stone Executive Editor, Nathan Brackett. What's up, Brian? (laughs) Here we are, live. Here we are, live. And we'll have some special guests I'll mention in one moment. In the first part of this episode, we'll be talking about an anti-Trump musical project called 30 Days, 30 Songs. And later, we'll be honoring Chuck Berry on his 90th birthday. But to discuss 30 Days, 30 Songs, we have with us today an amazing panel of guests. First of all, Dave Eggers author mcsweeney's founder gen x icon and the co-organizer of this project we have one of the great rock vocalists of our time corin tucker of slater Kenny of course and now of a very cool super group called filthy friends with former R.E.M. guitarist peter buck hey corin hi how you doing
0: i'm good thanks for having me
1: so 30 days 30 songs um how would you describe it to the uh, person who has not heard of it
0: well i think it's it's a really cool artistic project, right so it's it's basically taking the idea of what a Trump presidency would do to this country and what it would mean and putting that thought kind of into the minds of songwriters and um, every single day is a different song related to that idea in the hands of a different songwriter.
1: so it's a project and, about how awesome a Trump presidency will be. It's just,
0: <laughs> So just catastrophic, I think, oh, it would okay. be for our country.
1: We knew it was one or the other. Yeah, I'm yeah, just just checking. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, what was it like to write a song to order like this on a topic at a time?
0: Well, here's the crazy thing about our song, is that I actually had written it two years before. Ah. And... I had, but I had been thinking about the next presidential election and thinking about how much I feel like our country is changing and that we are having this huge generational shift in between the kind of ideology of, like, my parents' generation, hmm. right, and the generation that's come up since mine, which is Gen X, is you know the millennial generation and the kind of younger people that are, are going to lead this country forward and just thinking about how big of a shift I feel like our country is going to go through. Um, and But for some reason, I had in my mind this kind of um, figurehead running for president, right? This is before Trump had even announced his candidacy. Weird. But I know, it's, it is weird. It's a weird thing about being a songwriter sometimes is that you get these like flashes of inspiration. But I, I had this gut feeling of wanting to tell this person off. Hmm. And to do so in this way of, of like talking about this power exchange that I, I had this feeling was going to be kind of ugly,
1: <laughs> right? That yeah, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of crazy because when I, I would have hundred percent thought that you wrote this uh, to order. I um, know holding when on. When to he yeah.
0: announced his when he announced his candidacy, I was like, oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? And then it, but then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger.
2: So did, and, yeah,
3: I'm reminded here of how one one of the producers from uh, of Idiocracy, the Mike Judge movie, just uh, came on Twitter saying that he didn't know it was going to be a documentary. But
4: yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. <laughs> so did you record it two years ago, or did you just record it now with Filthy Friends?
0: We recorded it um, like at the end of 2013. Huh. And, yeah.
1: And. Just to step back for a second, how did Filthy Friends come together? It's a project with Peter Buck. What What is the kind of... And you guys are recording an album, correct?
0: Yeah. Um, so Peter Buck uh, made a solo album. I want to say like maybe he was working on it in 2012. Hmm. And it just asked me to sing on it. Yeah. Um, and we just, you know, it just was a really cool collaboration. It was just like two musicians with kind of different skill sets, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, mine is, is really, um, my strong suit is really being a vocalist. And um, and we just worked really well together. And he was like, hey, you know, we should, we should kind of write, see if we can write some more songs together.
1: Yeah, and I'm dying to hear that album. I, I do want to introduce our other guests who are with us now. Um, I'm, I won't say all that stuff about Dave Eggers again but the guy I mentioned earlier <laughs> the great author uh Dave welcome
2: Oh hey uh thank you Welcome to you too <laughs>
1: Welcome to myself and uh and Matt Berninger, it's it's the hard yeah, G Can it is, is a hard Yes I can it's a hard G Oh good
5: Matt? Uh, it is I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's it Met Burninger. It's, okay, it's Berninger. A, okay.
1: And yeah. and it's, uh, it's
5: soft around the middle. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> um of the National and and currently your other band Elvi. Thank thank you yeah, for being here.
5: Thanks. <clears throat> thank you.
3: Matt's calling in from our L.A. office.
5: Yeah, I've been here listening the whole time, oh, okay. Corinne. You sounded the great, great chat so far. You were, very, that was great. C- continue. <laughs> I, I don't want to interrupt. Right,
1: drop I the mic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to point out that we have, um, you know, two of my favorite vocalists in rock, uh, and one is at the very lowest end of the spectrum, and the other one is at the highest. I I, I do find that excellent to bring Who's it Who's who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which? <laughs> so... Uh I I'll go back to da- you know, so Dave, I understand that this project started when you went to a Trump rally, uh which must have been quite an experience covering it for the Guardian uh, for the Guardian. What happened there?
2: Uh yeah, I, you know, I I felt like I had to see this in person um the phenomenon and what was going on at these rallies and um so I went to one in Sacramento which was um, you know, uh surprisingly calm and civilized and full of, you know, actually very kind people and a lot of elderly people. And it was very, uh, surreally, um, um, convivial and, and affable, you know, everybody was kind of nice to each other and I don't know, it was, it was very surprising, but then, uh, then this airplane pulls up and, uh, and the soundtrack to Trump's airplane full of hate and ignorance was, uh, uh, Elton John's Tiny Dancer. Uh, there, <laughs> the speakers, And he played that song twice that night. And, and he also played a lot of Springsteen and Queen. And I just thought, you know, and every day you'd see these musicians, you know, so uh, upset about their music being played at these rallies. And uh, I thought, well, why don't, wouldn't it be great to create a compilation of music that was pre approved? For the next Trump rally, and that was the original (laughs) title for the project. You know, songs pre-approved for the next Trump rally. Um, But
1: has he used any yet?
2: (laughs) Times away from that.
1: Yeah, I I guess he hasn't played any of them yet. I was hoping maybe
2: you know, not yet. We have a few days (laughs) left.
1: Yeah, (laughs) given
2: his thing that just mistakenly one slips in there and. But yeah, you know, I and then I just started talking to people. Um, uh, I was working with Jim James on something else, and we just started talking about it and sort of lamenting that there aren't enough protest songs or hadn't been enough this year. And
4: mm.
2: and then you know, talked to Jordan Curland, who manages Death Cab uh, for Cutie, and it just started uh, snowballing, and then the song started pouring in uh maybe a month and a half ago and uh at this point there's so many that it looks like we'll have 60 songs <laughs> nice. in, in, instead of 30.
3: Could we just prolong the election <laughs> for a
1: little? Oh please. <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe. That, That's what we all want. Um and so and and Matt did you write your song uh custom for this project?
5: Uh yeah yeah Brent and I um um wrote it really quick and 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 we, it was sort of, I mean, we didn't, we, we, I, it's not a think piece necessarily. Ours is more of just like a cathartic experience. This, you know, it's, 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 a nonsense song and we made a video game that you can actually play on, on, on the website too. And it was more, it was fast and loose and recklessly put together and it, and, and it wasn't, I didn't want to, uh, I, everything was so serious. I just, I kind of just felt like it, I, I, making this, and a lot of these songs on this whole list are just using sarcasm and humor to address it, the, the confusion and in frustration and anger that everybody feels. This I, I didn't wanna I don't mention Trump and I don't even uh, I use some sound bites from, from him and, and, and we do some things that are that obviously are obvious references to this whole mm. election and, and the, 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 the ugliness of it. But we just we wanted this song to just feel cathartic and, and cause I, I feel like now is the time we need to start laughing with each other again. And I feel like it's like time for like the, the family, meaning America just had a terrible Thanksgiving where everybody hates each other <laughs> and we need to get back together and sit down and just watch a TV show together or something and get our family back together and laugh. It's like, we need to heal. It, like it's, I mean, I know we have 20 more days of pain, but it's time we, we, we have to start healing as a country, I think.
1: Uh, maybe we can hear uh, Elvi's songs uh, Elvi's song, which is "Are these my jets?" as you, which you know makes it completely clear just from the title that it is, <laughs> that is the title actually a, lot... a
3: Trump quote No,
5: no, no I think I I, it was the same thing that Corinne was saying about it is like the idea of like maybe just getting inside the head of someone right um, maybe he was in, in over their head you know and, and and there's also a bunch of dick references, so be careful <laughs> Last night I had an American. Feel. Up at the top of my moving staircase This is the place where I dream my dreams This is the place where I dream my dreams
1: That, I think it shows the uh, power of absurdism and uh, <laughs> and confusion and just a really beautiful song to maybe uh, make us think about all this. A, a, corn, a corn song we we don't seem to have, I don't think you've actually released it yet, is that is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's true. So um, that that I, but I have heard it and it's it's uh, it has a sort of Patty Smith vibe, which I guess the combination of you and Peter <laughs> might somehow produce. We have a crew on
3: BitTorrent actually <laughs> trying to find it right now.
1: <laughs> um, but and Dave, Dave, I would ask you because you, you've been involved with each and every one of these songs. I mean, what what has struck you? What has surprised you about these songs that all these great songwriters, including the ones with us today, are writing against Trump?
2: Um well I I think it's sort of uh what Matt was saying was you know there I everybody's coming at it from very different angles and I think so many of the songs are so beautifully oblique um and not necessarily you know um very few of them actually reference Trump directly or actually at least use his name um and I think that everybody came at it in a really uh in a different way you know I think Ben's song, uh, um, the, the very first one, the Death Cab song. Um, uh, Million Dollar Loan. Million Dollar Loan was just like a really interesting entry point, and the video was so beautiful. And, I th- you know, what I'm shocked by, but not, I guess, pleasantly, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm surprised, but the, the the artfulness of so many of these songs that were created in a very short amount of time is kind of astounding um Korn's song is beautifully written and uh, and and Elvi's song is uh so uh you know perfectly absurd and, and um uh, and appropriately uh, I and, thought uh, you
5: were going to say beautifully written. <laughs> beautifully written
2: and I thought I said I was implicit I uh yeah you know I, I this thing was really just uh just an, a notion and then suddenly a few songs came in, and B. Man's song came in, and it was it was one of the first ones, and uh, I thought, wow, this actually might turn into something, and now I don't know, I think that we're at a point where everyone feels helpless, or has felt helpless, as this sort of steamroller of bigotry and uh, horror has kind of overtaken uh, the country for the last 16 months, and even though uh, these are songs and not, you know, uh, uh, they don't necessarily uh, uh, change an election or pivot it on a dime, um, although I will say that when uh, Trump's numbers started dropping dramatically, that, <laughs> right that cap song went up. So maybe there's a direct correlation. Listeners can make the connection
1: themselves. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. Co- correlation <laughs> always <laughs> means causation. That's one thing we've learned. Uh, it's-
2: so, yeah, I think, um, you know, but I think we all feel like we need to do something, and um <clears throat> uh and, I, and that's what's been so encouraging about this sort of outpouring of all this really great music in a short amount of time. Um, I think people feel like they need to react, need to say something in, uh, in, in a wide variety of voices.
1: Cool. And we're going to take a break for one second and we'll be right back.
3: Seeking the truth never gets old.
4: So, guys, I was going to
1: ask you, I was going to read you a quote from Kurt Vonnegut about the Vietnam War. Um basically said that every serious writer, painter, stand-up comedian, musician, actor, actress, you name it, came out against this thing. We formed what might be described as a laser beam of protest with everyone aimed in the same direction, focused and intense. This weapon proved to have the power of a banana cream pie three feet in diameter when dropped from a stepladder five feet high. So what he's suggesting is perhaps that there's not a lot that art can do, uh, in these scenarios. So, and he may be right. He may be wrong. How how would you react to that?
0: I think that art and music does have an effect, but it's not an immediate effect. Right. So, you know, stopping something like the Vietnam war, when you have like a giant uh, war machine, um, going and and you know people in in power already um that you know definitely would take some time and some doing but i think that you know changing people's minds is not insignificant Mm. you know it just takes time i I think go
1: ahead man yeah
5: i i it seems i mean you you would think with the the amount of political protest songs and and you know, songs of progressive you know change and that have been written in america by americans about american issues uh that we'd be much further ahead than we are right now you you would so <laughs> oftentimes oftentimes i wonder if like even writing any any, uh, a protest song or a song of, of, you know, with political content has any, does any good. You would, yeah, I think we're, you know, 50 years behind where we should be as a culture and in a, a place, but, uh, but I think it, maybe it does. I don't know. I'll, we'll keep trying. And I think it's, it's, uh, and, and it's also very cathartic. It's just, it's cathartic to whatever it is to write about the things that are, that, that are bothering you, that the dark parts of your, your fears and everything, and mm. to make something beautiful out of, out of what you, what causes you, like keeps you up at night is the reason I, I, am a songwriter. It's, it's, I, I it, it helps me, it heals me. So, uh, so it's, it's, for me, it's a personal thing. I don't know if it has enough, how much of a political effect or cultural effect it, it has on, on the country though.
2: Well, an apathy isn't an option at all, whether mm. or not you think it's futile to speak out. <clears throat> um, presuming futility is um, just uh, the ultimate empower of a dictator an autocrat sure. uh, uh. anything so I think that no matter how many times an artist doesn't have the power to change or hasn't proved to or maybe uh, we feel like it's futile um, that doesn't at all invalidate the impulse you know we if you don't speak out um, even if it's just to be counted yeah, it, so that you can look back and say, well, I tried, I said something, I spoke my mind, uh, thousands of us did, we, we didn't win that one, Yeah. But we were on the right side of history. Uh,
1: yeah, I, th- I think that explains my constant and futile uh, tweets uh, about Trump. But, you know, it's, it's interesting, I mean, what do you guys make of the way that Hillary has or has not marshaled popular music and popular culture behind her, especially compared to the way that, uh, that Obama did, perhaps more aggressively and more effectively?
2: Well, people fall uh, in love with yeah. Obama, you know, and uh, that's rare. We don't always have to fall in love with our candidates. Mm. Uh, um, and I think that as an electorate, we often feel like we do need to. It, we think it's this is some kind of romance. Um, and, and I think that that can be a dangerously immature impulse to think that every candidate is our... Uh, is either a messiah or our boyfriend or girlfriend?
5: <laughs> uh, I got. I, can I say for the record, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit in, in love with Hillary Clinton, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I think yeah. seeing, I'm, I think seeing, especially what she's been been, what she's gone through. Yes, she's got she's has many flaws. I've got so many flaws, and I'm in love with myself, and I give <laughs> myself a break. So, I, I think she's wonderful, especially the way she's been handling what she's been facing mm. recently, and, and with 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 with. Direct power, elegance, and 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 yeah, I've I've totally got a crush on her, and and (laughs) and um. Uh, so I, I feel, I, and I know I, I. And here's my other point about it. I, I, under, I do understand why some people just uh, have very negative ideas of her, and they they can't shake those negative ideas. And whether those negative I- ideas are, are fact or fiction, they're there. And and that's uh, so much of what is behind Trump's uh, uh, support group is is just a, just a, a hatred for her, an abstract uh, kind of strange hatred. Which I, I, I've, I've had those hatreds for things, and so I, I empathize with that. And I have this. I, I feel like the people, Trump supporters, like most of my family. I come from Cincinnati. Half of my family, at least, or at least like aunts and uncles and cousins, are very much, uh, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know if they're. I don't know. We don't talk about it. And I mean, well, I talk about with some of them, but but mm. they they are not. They are not. They are not ignorant in any ways. They're angry and they're and they're they're afraid. And Trump. In a funny way, I believe that the whole Trump movement and the thing is, is, is a crazy giant protest. People in this country are angry about a lot of things. We're all angry about different things, but mm. uh, uh, we're, people are poor and scared and in education and healthcare care and, the, and, and the, the safety of their children. that We're seeing things happen in the world. Everybody's a little bit terrified, and, and, and everyone's protesting, sometimes in very different ways. But the whole Trump uh, movement, not him himself, but his people, are not— are not bad people. The people that tr- yeah. support Trump, I, I know that. They're my family. Uh, and they're great. They're wonderful, loving people. But th- everyone's under some spell of anger and fear right now. And Trump is using that to try to take over.
1: Well said. Uh, Corn. there's a line in the chorus of your song, which uh, really struck me, especially since you wrote it before this election. Uh, Holding on to the past won't make it repeat, Time to get up. I think you're in my seat, which is kind of awesome. If you take it from the perspective of Hillary Clinton, what do you what do you make of your uh, prophetic uh, <laughs> achievement there?
0: I think it's I think it's really fitting in a way that you know part of what's going on in this battle is this kind of um, traditional mentality of mm. Trump, and it it really you know it's really come down to a lot about. Um, sexual politics and about the way we think about men and women. Mm. And he is, you know, he's incredibly sexist. He's bragged about being a sexual abuser and assaulting women. And, you know, on the other hand, we have this incredible woman, Hillary Clinton, who's worked her whole life, you know, to try and, um, and further the cause of women's rights. So, you know, to me, there is this brutal an ugly um, power struggle going on. And um, I really think that, um, you know, in the very last debate, Hillary Clinton really spoke very eloquently about women's rights and about abortion rights and how difficult that struggle is and how, you know, Trump doesn't empathize with women and he doesn't think about their needs. And so, you know, I really think that, women do have to stand up and they do need to vote in this election.
1: Um, yeah. And guys, thank you very much for uh, talking about this project. I, I want to, before we wrap, I want to ask um, Matt, what's going on with the, uh, <laughs> with the new national album.
5: Um, we are deep in it and, 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 and I, 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 don't think it's going to be done and like soon, but it's, it's very different than Elvite. It's really dark and, in and, 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 and and there aren't any dick references on the, on the new national record. It's, I get all my silly, <laughs> crazy, cathartic stuff out with, with Elvi, and I did that, and I had such a blast. But the national, the, it's, it's, it's letting me go very dark with the new national record, which is a, very, uh, I, a place I love to go. So it's, I think it's, it's, it, I'm think i so excited. The record's great, and, it's, and I don't know when it's going to be done, though. <laughs> so so
1: <laughs> as opposed to all those other sparkly pop uh, national albums? Right, exactly. Yeah. No,
5: I really. It's like I've, I've, I've always. I people have always de- described our music as dark and and goes, to, you know, very melancholy, whatever somber places. They 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 haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> this this next thing is crazy, and it's about marriage, and it's about marriages falling apart. And my, I'm happily married, and and, and but it's it's uh, it's 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 hard. Marriage is hard, and, and and I've just my wife and I are are are, are writing the lyrics together about wow. our own struggles, and it's it's it's. Difficult to write, but its am I'm, 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 its saving my marriage, And not saving my marriage. My marriage is healthy, but it's—it's it's, it's good for everything, and so it's going to be a strange record, and I'm—I'm and I'm crazy about it. Thanks
1: for asking, though. Yeah, and very, very quickly, Corn, uh, filthy friends. When are we going to hear that?
0: So, um, sometime next year, we're hoping to have the record out. So soon-ish.
1: Awesome. I'm—I'm I'm actually super psyched about it. So, guys, Dave, Matt, Corn, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank and you we'll, guys uh, thanks for coming on guys And thank you. We'll, uh, thank you we'll be back in a moment with more Rolling Stone music now
6: hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting
4: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New
2: Orleans. We're back up in
4: the woods among
2: the
1: evergreens. There stood a log cabin made of earth and wood. Where lived a country bar named Johnny B. Good. In this segment, as you can tell from the music, we're going to be talking about Lil Yachty. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. It's, it is not Lil Yachty's 90th birthday, but it is Chuck Berry's 90th birthday. Uh, and this is our first live show, by the way, of Rolling Stone Music Now. Uh, in the first half, we talked about some anti-Trump songs, and now we're going to talk about Chuck Berry. That song sounds pretty good still. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it does. It sounds okay. The kid's got a future. <laughs> and we have with us uh, Neil Strauss, uh, the, the great writer for Rolling Stone and many other places of, of great books and uh, fame in various areas. Neil?
6: Hey, Brian. Hey, Nathan. Good to talk to you guys. What's up, Neil? What's going on?
1: Uh, Neil Strauss, one of the reasons I do this for a living, I must say, uh, will always inspire me, so thank you for being here. Oh, man. Um, I mean, um, not the talking on the radio, but the, the writing part. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um,
3: but, it was actually your appearance on the Marin <laughs> podcast that made us all want to appear on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> n-
1: exactly. Neil, Neil was when you went on Howard Stern and uh, and uh, and and made things very difficult for yourself. That was when uh, <laughs> that was oh, my impression. I
6: almost broke my relationship on that shit. So let's not do that. In. That'll be the we'll, second episode
3: we'll
1: try of Rolling to, yeah, Stone yeah, music yeah, now. Yeah, on yeah, Sirius yeah, yeah. yeah, your your yeah your history on uh, your history on the radio is is spotty, but we'll let you back. Um, yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. Listen. You spend some time with Chuck Berry, um, who is, you know, one of the most important rock artists of all time. Spectacularly influential. It's so influential that it's almost hard to, <laughs> to, to put his influence in words. But Neil Strauss put Chuck Berry's influence in words.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 amazing because there's there, there's two sides. But first of all, of course, he's you know the inventor or one of the inventors or creators of the music we know, obviously as. As as a rock and roll, along with Bo Diddley and uh, and, and, and Little Richard, and literally, you know, you, you name it, John John Lennon, he was every every rock and roller you look up to looks up to Chuck Berry. He's he's the one, and, and obviously obviously had to sit in jail while he saw the entire music he popularized. People make so much money and get so much shame off that, while well, he's cooling his heels in jail over over a, a sort of a racist uh, exploitation of a of a of a law.
1: Yeah, I mean, and we heard Johnny Be Good, which, you know, is the song that started a million bands, spawned a million riffs, um, you know, prompted untold numbers of people to sit around, you know, making their fingers numb, trying to play it. Uh, but when you got with Chuck Berry, which was how many years ago? Uh, he was 83, so seven years ago. Wow. When you got with him, it seemed like he was in some way, and I you encountered this a lot, the people are in denial of their influence and importance. And it, it, it seemed to me that that was his response to you whenever you tried to push him on that subject. It,
6: it, it was amazing, and, and that's what I love about, you know, what we do, Brian, is that by meeting these sort of great cultural icons and actually seeing them as human beings and not mm-hmm. as uh, caricatures or, uh, you know, people that belong to a cult- the culture, you get to see what is the mind and what is the brain and, and how was this music created. So, uh, So, yeah, so first of all, he... I, I I named my book of interviews Everyone Loves You When You're Dead partly because <laughs> of Chuck Berry because he didn't see himself as the inventor of rock and roll. He really legitimately denied it. He said so many other people did this before him. He wasn't doing anything new. And uh, he wasn't just being humble. He meant it. And really what he thought everyone in the world thought of him as was the guy who transported a minor across state lines and got mm. arrested for it. He still felt... All these years later, that when he walked out, he there, there was sort of a you know he was this 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 shame around that it's it's so, it's so interesting. And then the other fascinating thing is, I think in the world we think of Chuck Berry as a you know a guitarist, then maybe a poet, then a singer, then an entertainer. But for him, entertaining was everything. Like to him, all he was doing was just giving the people what they wanted. And so this is his version of of. My interpretation, we talking about how he invented rock and roll, which is he'd go and play these segregated venues, these segregated theaters, mm. whites on one side, blacks on the other. And now uh, the whites wanted to hear the R&B, but yeah. on the other side, the blacks wanted to hear the hillbilly music. So we had these two different audiences, two different sides, and how do I please them both, and putting together the R&B and the blues with the country, and you got rock and roll, just trying to make this disparate audience happy.
1: Who are the influences he or the people that he that Chuck Berry cited as doing rock and roll before them? Because one of them was Frank Sinatra, which confused me. I must admit.
6: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and and, and that shows how, uh, let's say, uh, naive or uh, unthinking it was. But it, you know, it was Louis Jordan, which makes a little more sense. Yeah, well,
3: how the Louis things, Jordan thing you can hear for sure.
6: Right, right. Uh, you know, Joe Turner makes sense, and really, I think for him, uh, you know, but yeah, he would name Frank Sinatra, Tommy Dorsey, uh, but. I think it was just the music he loved, but I think the real thing was when he, when he saw Muddy Waters and both seeing Muddy Waters play and Muddy Waters sending him to chess uh, to drop off some songs is, is what changed it, what, what, uh, what set him on that path.
1: You know, it's interesting. On some level, he might be right, because if you go back and listen to the charting R&B hits of the 1940s, you can starting in like 42, 43, you're hearing rock and roll. You know, so on some level, he's correct. But I think, as you point out, the the really interesting thing is bringing in the country. That might right. be the real kickoff there. You know, and so how conscious, how much did he speak about the country influences?
6: Yeah, you know what? It's, it's interesting. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't really go into it. And and here's here's the other thing that's fascinating. I love. I just again, I love meeting people and seeing what they're what they're all about. But to him, the song he talked about the most that he wrote. Uh, what song do you think that was?
1: I, I believe they it was mean, my dingling, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was, of, course, of course, it was my dingling because
6: Chuck Berry is a failed comedian. <laughs> that, that's his. Yeah. That, that, that's what he is in his mind. It's like he just wants to make people laugh, he wants to be funny. And, uh, and 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 he wants to be a comedian. The whole interview was just half of it was him trying to crack me up. Well, and the only reason I got like the longest interview, probably in Chuck Berry history. <laughs> and I got it late I got to tell you how the interview started because it's like
1: yeah, it's I was going to get there. Yeah, well, just yeah. to throw in,
3: yeah. like my diggling was also his biggest hit, right? I mean, he also right. it was he got the most feedback in some way, which is a right. crazy right. irony. I mean,
1: and for those who do not know this song, this is more or less a song about Chuck Berry's penis, right? basically. Right. Yeah. The yeah, early seventies, right? Novelty. Yeah. yeah. His, yeah. his penis in the early 70s yeah, um, the, yeah the, not his later his later period of that um
6: which 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 is his other obsession he saved he's, so he's. this is the great Chuck Berry book that hasn't been written he saved photographs of all his experiences and all the stories and he wants to put it together into a in
1: into a book and, and right and when you say experiences you mean experiences yeah yeah I mean, all the sexual experiences <laughs> yes, yes yeah um but yeah i mean so you the story. Oh, but, but
6: Nathan, by the way, Nathan. Nathan was right there. Which is yes, Chuck Berry knows the amount of the check that he got from My Dingling, which I think was somewhere right. like two hundred fifty thousand. So, so yes, it also gave him the biggest check and the, his only number one.
1: Well, actually, that that to me in a different course. Which is, uh, it struck me that Chuck Berry has, um, in his later years, he's hurt himself in a way that's a little bit sad by turning down the big checks for the little checks. He was so interested in going on the road and getting that cash in advance and was too suspicious to make the kind of deals that maybe would have really given him a ton of money or sustained his legacy in in it, which is a a little sad, isn't it?
6: Well, well, yes and no. And and, and you totally nailed it, which is that people think of Chuck Berry as this kind of cantankerous, self-sabotaging, impossible to work with guy. But here's the other narrative. And let's keep in mind that, first of all, what you say is true. But he's also, it's not like money is his goal. He's never sold T-shirts at concerts. Mm. He's never sold music at concerts. He's never sold any merchandise at concerts, despite his band saying, like, what are you doing? But <laughs> he has the way he does things. And, and this, is, this explains Chuck Berry, because, again, he has such a reputation as, you know, just cantankerous and tough to deal with, which is, you know, playing music in the time he was playing music, all you do is you get ripped off. And Chuck Berry's a learner. And so every time someone would rip him off, not pay him, he'd set a new rule. So by the time you're 90, you've got thousands of rules and they're really hard to work with. And each comes from one specific bad experience.
3: Is yeah. it just about? Con- is it also about control too? I mean, he wouldn't sell T-shirts because he's not going to. He wants to do it all himself.
6: Yeah, right? th- it's probably true. If one one person rips him off selling something where he's not there, right? Uh, right? But I guess he could make the choice to go there and sell it himself after the show. But, but right. I <laughs>
1: But yeah, let's start uh, at the beginning, which is you show up uh, at this club, um, and what happened from there.
6: Yeah, so, so so I'm told, and again, like I think, uh, and as Nathan knows, who's who's have been my editor at Rolling Stone for so long, when you're doing the, some of these stories with uh, with these sort of unreachable icons, you might work for it was probably like six months to a year working to get uh, this a possibility to talk with Chuck. Not we didn't even know what happened because he doesn't do interviews, and I was told finally. Uh, that he would l- look at me, <laughs> <So> I, <laughs> literally, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and it was very likely that. And again, it's the St. Louis. It was very likely that within at the club Blueberry Hill. It was very likely that within five minutes he would walk out. There was a ninety, like five percent chance. And so you, you prepare for it. You just go there and you kind of hope that somehow that that somehow this is this is going to work. And I, have you been in that
1: situation, Brian? Uh, I have. I, I haven't had as many of this sort of like the Van Morrison's of the world hi Van if you're out there uh, Van, Van Morrison's of the world who are you know supposedly horrifying and impossible to interview and, and stuff like that I, I've tried to avoid those out of fear but right. um, but yeah no I mean certainly I've had things where it's like you show up and you know they might like you they might not you know um, <laughs> if you know that like I've I've had publicists say you know uh, I'm gonna check in at 30 minutes, and don't be hurt if they're just like, "Yeah, we're done. You Let's know? just take a wait and see <laughs> approach." <laughs> so yeah, sorry, go on now. We,
6: we really should do an episode about like the art, the art of the interview, and how how you keep a publicist away from an interview. <laughs> <you know>?
1: Yeah, <laughs> but that's uh, yeah, yes, we should. But then, but we should make sure somehow that no publicist can hear it. If we can just figure that yeah. out, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love remember, you, publicist. Like, I remember,
6: yeah. Okay. So 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 I walk in, and the first thing he says is he starts giving me shit for being late, and now. However, I'm two minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> so right away, like, and there's a big lecture about how he worked at Kroger's and, and you know, when the store opened, you were there. And if you were a minute late, you didn't get paid. And so he's like, what you mean? You kind of got to just like, you're not going to argue with him. You just sort of like, you know, accept it. You're, so you're in his reality. Mm. Next thing he says is, can I see the list of questions? <laughs> So, 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 what would you do in that situation, Brian? Uh,
1: you know, I, I would claim to have no list, which often is the case, by the way. So,
6: right, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, I have one. It's in my back pocket, but I never look at it. So, so, uh, so, um, so, 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 I get, I get out of that and say, hey, it's just more about having a conversation.
4: Mm.
6: Uh, next thing is uh, he wants to, uh, but so he's really, really reluctant, and he's asking all these questions about how to trust me. And I don't know if you do this, but I always bring two tape recorders because I once interviewed like. Uh, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page it was like their only interview and like they'd done together in years and years and the tape recorder went out so I learned my lesson the hard way
1: I, I, you so, know what I do in fact bring two recorders in and I've now referred to it in so many articles that I have to stop referring because often that the artists funny. will you know so because so, Harrison Ford made fun of me for having two tape recorders and I told him Bruce Springsteen got three and then he's like oh you know so I so, think Madonna kind of <laughs> called yeah, you out and, too right Ma- 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 Madonna actually uh, made sure that they were arranged properly it, it was bugging her that they weren't next to each other perfectly. So, anyway, yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah.
6: I know, I'll do that with people. I'll kind of move like a piece of silverware that you something to see if they move it back and then you know they're, they're OCD <laughs> level. So, yeah, I tell them that he can keep, you know, one of the recorders or, 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 or one of the tapes afterwards so we can have a copy. Uh, ah. And so, again, I, I thought I was going to add f- last five minutes and then he, then he started making a joke. I laughed at the joke. I added to the joke, uh, basically the joke, and it was kind of interesting because it says about his personality and how he was playing in the casinos and playing slot machines that had four jackpots and he thought... You know, can I see five? Uh, can I get five jackpots? And, you know, I wonder if there's anything bigger, you know, if you can raise a roof off a show or get this. Is there anything bigger? I want it all. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and so we joked around about that. As soon as I laughed at his jokes, he removes his sunglasses, he looks at me, and he goes, I can feel you're a good interviewer. This is going to last a while, and I'm going to tell you things that I've always wanted to say for years.
1: <laughs> and didn't he also, at that point, actually put in his hearing aid, which he didn't have in?
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta actually listen to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and it's the it's those it really is like going to an interview. Really is like you're not their friend. As the press, they're gonna pretend to like you, but you're not their friend. But that moment when they feel like they trust you or they can relax with you, which is really not making someone not feel judged. I think. Yeah. Is that moment when it all all came together, we had we covered everything. We covered like L- little Richard hitting on him, All these like he opened up about. Oh man, there's a thing I didn't put in the story. Yeah. Um, but uh, but uh, but he was talking. about, like so, so this interview—I want to say it was like five, like five hours, two or three segments
4: mm.
6: longer than he'd ever interviewed anyone that anyone could remember, and uh, and by the second interview, I think I don't know if he forgot it was an interview, uh, but he. Uh, started talking about how, uh, you know, man, like when men have breasts and they're very kind of flabby in the chest and how attractive that is, how he finds that hot sometimes. Like he just, there was no okay. filter
1: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note, <laughs> that's, what, that's
6: where rock and roll comes from. It's, 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 it's right. not just the technique it's the sex and the drive yeah
1: absolutely
3: he was a super freak before rick james yeah. absolutely
1: yeah, exactly. on, on that note i knew we'd get into chuck Berry's sex life and at some point during the show why not in our first live episode um and that <laughs> we're going to go to a break and we'll be back with more rolling stone music now neil please stick around sure sometimes I- You know the thing about Chuck Berry is I love Chuck Berry. <laughs> I mean it's yeah. it, it's it's just um, I I really feel like his music hasn't aged. I, I I've played it with little kids still respond to it. There's just something so primal and powerful in it. Um,
6: does he? It's amazing. It's 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 just, it's just so timeless. Just that boogie woogie piano, like as you're listening, to that country rhythm guitar, you know, and it's just short, catchy, and then just his voice just barrels through it. It's it's just amazing.
3: He's also got a crazy amount of deep cuts. Like a lot. I mean, that box set that came out. I, what was it, 15 years ago? Now is incredible.
1: Yeah. yeah. Neil, does oh, does Chuck yeah. care about rock and roll as a thing, or does he see himself also as something much broader? Because it seems like he wants to croon every opportunity he gets. So, so how do you see that?
6: Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely true. He actually, so you know, he announced he has a new album coming out. Yeah, uh, his first, in, I don't know how how many years is it.
1: Yeah, it's it's like, a it's a many it's since the '70s, I believe. And as I said, yeah. it's the it's the equivalent of Drake dropping a new album in the year 2077. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, that's, so that's it's exactly incredible. Good. So anyway, go on you now.
6: So, so he played me like eight new songs, and you're and you're absolutely right. And 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 again, it's so funny because people have a weird. People are so close to themselves that they don't see their own. Legacy or their relationship with their legacy and the things they regret are things that people don't think of anymore. So, uh, so, so we played these new songs and most of them were sort of like a lot of them were spoken word pieces because he really thinks himself as I mean and, and is uh, you know a poet uh, and his, his original songs came from poems that he had written. So you know, so a lot of them were, were kind of crooning songs. You mentioned the Frank Sinatra uh, connection earlier. so a lot of them were, were, were crooning, croon songs or uh, spoken word, which, which were actually great uh, great songs, one called Temple Woman. I wonder what'll be on there. And then, and then there's the bad move, which everybody always does because <laughs> you don't know, no, you can't engineer why you got why your music took off. So he has "Lady Be Good," which is a revival <laughs> of Johnny Be Good, which is just, don't don't do it. Uh, and then he, and then he also feels. He feels like his song Havana Moon, uh, which was like wasn't popular because of Castro. He felt he was so stupid to do a song about Havana Moon because you know Castro at the time were people against Cuba. So he's finally decided, <laughs> uh, you know, half a century later, that he, if he calls it Jamaica Moon, it will not be popular. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and uh, and and then he has this. Then he has then there's a great song uh, that I really like called Loco Joe, which uh, which is kind of like that, you know. Uh, which is more of like a great uh, a great kind of humorous uh, uh, rocker and there's one called the big boys which is a bit of a throwback but I wonder how many will be on the album but it was a mix of like those three things he does the the crooning the rocking and the, and the, and the poetry
1: how does Chuck feel about the fact that you know the Beatles the stones even the Beach Boys uh, made so much money off to a certain extent things he invented
6: Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I'll, the other thing I'll do besides playing just Chuck Berry for people is like play Chuck Berry and then play the Beatles or the Beach Boys or the Stones, and they'll, they're the exact same. You know, they're they're the exact same riff sometimes. Uh, but it, it felt it, I felt read in other interviews where he 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 was bitter here here. Uh, he he didn't seem to have an he didn't seem to have an issue with it. Like uh, he didn't seem that he really was like not, uh, you know connected or bitter about that versus say Bo Diddley. When I interviewed Bo Diddley uh, who had these amazing new songs he was working on that never got out. It always upset me. Uh, but Bo Diddley was really angry. He felt like, cause I couldn't copyright my beat and that Bo Diddley, you know, right, yeah. taken taken by everybody. He just feels like, I remember he said my mailbox should be swelling like a football with with royalty checks. So he was really uh, upset about it. But Chuck Berry were like, so, you know, Chuck Berry said that the way that John Lennon said his biggest influence was was me, my biggest influence uh, was Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, of course, yeah. yeah. Well, listen, they
1: they both they both changed the, the world as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, uh, right,
6: right. And, and like there was some elegance to Einstein taking, you know, reducing the world to these very simple formulas that he was impressed with.
1: I mean, and Chuck, people pointed out that you know, so Bob Dylan obviously uh, won a significant prize for literature recently, and people pointed. out, I mean, listen, you know, Chuck Berry. Absolutely phenomenal lyricist, a real poet of uh, like a a, a poet of making his own little teenage symphonies. Uh, you know, the the lyrics, the specificity, the inventiveness—like one of the greatest lyricists of all time.
6: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think it's a really good point that it's it's sort of it's a uh, it's it, it, it's it's overlooked, and a lot of people it was really these were these were complete. Uh, you know, songs, not just ideas or riffs. And it really, I, I think that influenced so, so much songwriting. I really think it's over, the, the poetry side and the, and the lyricist side is, is really overlooked.
3: And, of course, like the Beatles got so much credit for writing their own songs and are credited with separating rock, making rock this original art form. But Chuck Berry was, you know, writing his own stuff a decade before.
1: Right. He was the, yeah, what's well, yeah, important to remember, he was the lead singer. He was the lead guitarist and he was the songwriter. Elvis, as much as I love him, uh, just the singer. Uh, you know, Buddy Holly, not as much of a lead guitarist. So, I mean, Chuck was, you had to sort of, you know, people would need two to three people in their band just to, to replicate the Chuck Berry experience. Um, right, and it, right. it's, it, and it's, it's really cool, uh, you know, and I hope he's doing okay. It's really cool that he's still with us. Um, it's almost like he's a, a pop cultural uh, time traveler, you know, that he's still around in this age of, you know, yeah, Drake and <laughs> Lil Yachty. And yes, Chuck Berry's releasing a new album
6: and I mean, that, that, that i mean that's what's amazing of the three pioneers of rock and roll and and uh, and, uh, and again working for rolling stone I, to, t- to actually get to meet them is like is insane but i mean two of them are still with us we lost buddly but but little richard is just hanging on and, and uh, you know wasn't doing well when i when i interviewed him and, uh, and and chuck berry is 90 and still and you can go see him at blueberry hill in in, in st louis i think any any time
1: and, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, everybody loves you when you're dead. And it, as, as you named your book, it's, it's important to give some love to these icons, to these people who formed uh, the music and the culture <laughs> that we still have while they're around. So this is a chance to do that. And, and uh, Neil, you uh, were nice enough to call in and give us a chance to do that. So thank you.
6: All right. Thanks. Have a good rest of the show. And congrats on the first episode.
1: Thank you. And we're, uh, you can go read Neil Strauss and a whole lot of other stuff uh, at RollingStone.com. And've this was our first live episode of uh, Rolling Stone Music Now. I, I've been uh, Brian Hyatt, and uh, we had Nathan Brackett. We did and, it, and we All right. did it. And thanks very much for being here.
3: Thanks for listening.